0: Before we begin, would you just join me in a word of prayer right now? Jesus, we recognize that we are in a unique moment in history, because today has never happened before. And we could be out there doing anything else, but we've chosen in this moment to come before you, to open up your word, and to hear you speak. And some of us come into this place tired. Some of us come in with fresh wounds from this week. Some of us are here and we don't even want to be here today, but we were felt compelled or we felt like we had to be here or we were dragged here by someone else. And some of us have come in here in this space just eager for you. And so I'm going to ask that your Holy Spirit might settle upon us right now that you might bring us to something sacred this morning as you move in our midst to open our eyes and open our ears to what beauty you would have for us today. Is in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. So several years ago, when Joey and I were, you know, engaged and stuff like that, we went through premarital counseling. In fact, we went through it like three times, but that's a whole other story for a different day. Um, and one of the counselors that we saw, he challenged us in this meeting, he's like, what do you think couples will fight over the most? And I listed off, in my opinion, the order I thought, and I was like, okay, sex, because I'm a man, um, money, parenting, and then in-laws. Some of you feel that one very strongly, Right. But what I was surprised to learn in that that engagement was that I was wrong, that there was something else that is far more common that couples will fight over. It is so common that you fight over at your job as well. Um, It's something that affects every little moment of your day, both in small little ways and big ways as well. And You probably can guess, especially those of you who have been married for a long time, what I'm thinking of here. But let me go ahead and lay it out for all of us. I'm talking about unspoken expectations. You know this to be true, right? Let me give you an example. So when you first got married, you were in that honeymoon bliss. Everything was wonderful. You're floating on a cloud. You know, nothing could be wrong. Your spouse is just a perfect human being. And some of you haven't been married all that long. So you're like, I don't understand. Is there another way to be married? Um, (laughs) But you know what changed? Was that first night when the dishes were overflowing in the sink. And for you, your expectations were, maybe for you growing up, that if one of you did the cooking, the other one did the cleaning. Or maybe the expectations were for you that one individual in the household did all the cooking and cleaning, and the other spouse did all these other responsibilities. Or maybe, whatever, you just have any excuse to tell yourself that that it's not your job to do the dishes, it's your spouse's job to do the dishes, and they're thinking the same thing, and you're just butting heads because, you know, you're not thinking the fact that they grew up with different parents than you and they had different rules. But, but that was the first moment you are like, okay, maybe there's some work to this, right? And then other expectations came up, like who does what chores, who takes care of the finances, who does most of the parenting, who does the disciplining, how many times do you have fun in the bedroom, or the proper way to make a pot of spaghetti, that one's a little bit personal for me and Jody, right? <laughs> Probably in trouble for that one. But here's the thing. We come into, yes, I know, you're like, please, please pray for Mason. You know, he's <laughs> Anyways, we come into every single situation in our life with unspoken expectations. In fact, you coming in here today, you had some expectations, whether this is your first time here or maybe you've been here all your life, you had certain expectations when you came into this room. And we do the same thing in our marriage. We do the same thing at our jobs, right? And here's what I've come to know. This is very true. In fact, for some of you, you're like, man, this, what Mason's about to say is going to change my life. Here it is, right? That if expectations are never clearly communicated, the only thing we can expect is disunity. If expectations are not properly communicated, if they're not shared between one another, the only thing we can expect is disunity, Now, you know this for a fact in yourself. Think about your job situation. Maybe you're in an argument with your boss right now because your boss had some unspoken expectations for you that you weren't aware of, so you did not meet them, so then you caused some problems, and now you're in trouble, and maybe that's your, like, man, Mason, I'm there, right? I'm there right now. Or maybe this is with you and a teacher. Maybe this is you with a spouse or with a friend. But here's the thing. If expectations are not clearly communicated, the only thing we can expect is disunity. And when that happens, fights start, arguments happen, people get upset, and you're like, man, I've, I, I should have had this, I should have had this knowledge. And then this would have not have happened. Now here's what I also believe is true, right? That there are expectations to being the Jesus follower. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And it's not probably what you're thinking. You're probably thinking, okay, Mason's saying expectations for Jesus followers. That means I've got to be in church every Sunday. I've got to make sure that when the buckets come around that I'm always throwing at least a 20 in there, something like that. That's not the expectations that we're going to look at today in Scripture. All right, we're going to look at something that maybe you did not expect. But when we get into them, we're going to be like, man, this is common knowledge. This is just a better way to live. In fact, I say that in regards to those of you in this room who maybe aren't Jesus followers. Maybe you're a little skeptical, maybe you're a little unsure, maybe you're just a guest and you're just seeing what this is like to be a a bluffer or bluffian or whatever weird word we call ourselves, right, as members of this church, right? And you're like, I'm a little unsure, so let me go ahead and say something nice and comforting to you. If you're like, man, I'm not sure about this whole following Jesus thing, I'm a little skeptical, I'm a little nervous, you're probably thinking there's a pastor up on stage, he's going to make me feel guilty, I want you to know that's not going to happen. Because this text is not actually written to you. So everything we're going to look at this morning is not an expectation for you. You're off the hook. But here's what I believe. That if you put the things that we're going to look at into practice in your own life, you're going to have some better relationships. And you're going to have some better outcomes in your life. And your life is just going to be better in general. But you're not expected to follow these things unless you are a Jesus follower. Unless you're like, man, I have trust in Jesus as my Messiah and I'm going to follow him and his ways with my life, that's when the expectations are upon you. But if that's not you, you're off the hook. But before you pull out your phone and get on Instagram and TikTok and just blow off this whole rest of this morning, let me challenge you, right, to pay attention for the sake of those who are Jesus followers that you would hold us accountable to these things. I'm going to challenge this as well, especially if you're a guest. Maybe you're like, hey, this is my first time being here, or maybe I've been here a while, but I've been kind of hanging out on the fringes. I haven't really gotten to know anybody or get plugged in a little bit deeper or uh, build any relationships. I'm just kind of out on the outskirts. I-, I want you to hear this as well because my heart as a pastor, and this goes the same for Dave as another one of our pastors, including our elders, we want this that we're going to look at today. This is our expectations for us As a church, as the bluff church in this community, right? So the stakes are high, right? You guys ready then? You can nod your head. In fact, today is going to require a whole lot of audience participation, so you've got to be paying attention, all right? So you can nod your head. You can say amen, right? We're, we're ready to dive in, okay? Now, let me go ahead and lay out what's going on in Ephesians chapter 4, where we're picking up this morning. So last week, we looked at how God, because he has brought us into a new community, has given us a new identity that we can live from, and this new identity comes before everything else. This status as being a Jesus follower and being part of God's family comes before your political status, your racial status, your status as an American, your parental status, your marriage status, even your status as a parent on the ballpark. You know what I'm talking about with being that dad or that mom, right? On the ballpark. Some of you are like, I know what you're talking about because I'm having trouble with someone else on the ballpark. Okay? Here's the thing. This status as a Jesus follower comes before everything else. And it affects the way we think about ourselves and how we live our lives. And so that's what we looked at last week, of this amazing truth that we have the potential to be completely new people, to live completely new lives, because we have a completely new identity upon us. And then Paul follows it up in his letter to the Ephesians. He follows it by saying this. We pick up in chapter 4, right, where he says this, In verse 25, he starts off saying, Therefore, because you now have a new identity in Christ, you are now a Jesus follower because you've placed your faith and trust in him. Therefore, having put away all falsehood, which he means basically stop your lying. It doesn't work for you anymore. You have believed in the truth. You've accepted the truth. You decide to live in the truth. So the lying thing, being known as a liar, that doesn't work for you anymore, right? So he says, because, therefore, having put away all falsehood, here's what we need to do. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Now Paul's point here, starting out, super simple. Jesus followers are expected to be the most honest people. Like think about it in a law court system where you go to courts and they're like, put your hand on the Bible and swear that you're going to tell the truth. He's saying, look, if you're a Jesus follower, that should never even be asked of you. It should just be assumed that you are an incredibly honest person, that you're not a liar, that you're going to speak what is True, right? And even if you're not a Jesus follower, you can appreciate this. Like, you like to be around people who are honest with you, right? Because therefore you can trust them. And Paul's saying, like, look, if we're going to be in family with one another, we're going to be in this community, this new community that God has established, it's only going to work if we're honest with one another, if there's trust with one another. And here's why because he carries on in his sentence saying, for we are members one of another. Right, Now, we've looked at this multiple times through chapter 4 of Ephesians. Paul's very big on this. He's like, look, you've now heard the gospel. You need to see yourself now as an integral part of this new community. That God has blessed you. He's given you grace and mercy. He's given you gifts for the sake of loving and serving one another. That this only works in this capacity because we belong to one another. Meaning, this is why we say all the time here at the church, you are not alone and you are loved, and you matter, right? Because you now belong to something. See, church is not where you come to just watch a show. That's not church. Church is where you come to belong to something, where you are part of something, where the people around you are not just other people in the pews, but their family, the people you want to be around. The people who love you and you in turn love, and and yes, they're, they're filled with all these flaws and they're imperfect people, right? And some of them you're just like, man, I don't want to be around them, right? Sometimes, but at the same time, we still belong to one another. We still have responsibility to one another. We still care and love one another. Why? Because we've been brought into a new family where Jesus is our center, right? That's the expectation for us. Here's another one. Continuing on to verse 26, he says this, be angry and do not sin. All right now, that sounds a little confusing, right? Like you're like, well, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, Paul, what about all being nice to one another, being kind? That, that seems really odd. You're telling us to be angry. And if you're confused, it gets even more confusing because <laughs> he goes on in the very same sentence. He says, and you know, he, he continues and says, be angry and do not sin. But then he follows up and says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. All right, so in the same sentence, Paul says, be angry. And don't be angry. (laughs) You guys confused, right? Like, I read that, and my first thought is, what in the world are you talking about, Paul? Well, there's several things we need to understand. First one, this is super important, especially for our culture today. We need to be aware that emotions are not wrong. They just are. Now, that doesn't come from me. That was some wisdom that I was told recently, and I felt like, man, that fits so well with this passage. And when I say wrong, I don't mean, you know, in the sense of right and wrong. I mean in the sense of emotions are not evil. They just are. It's what we do with them, right? That determines whether or not the emotion was good or bad. And this is so important, especially in our day and age, because men especially we're told to suppress our emotions. We're told to... Shove them down deep. Don't let them rear up, right? We we just got to push them back down, right? Because we're told that if you show any sort of emotions, you're weak. And that's not healthy. And the result of this is we raise up a generation of people who can't process their emotions very well and end up making some really bad decisions because they don't know how to control their emotions. They don't know how to process them. They don't know how to think through them, and they just react, especially with men. We make some really disastrous decisions because we didn't know how to control our emotions. We get into addictions, and in many cases, men end up taking their lives because they didn't know how to process their emotions and talk about them. And so we need to change the narrative and recognize that, hey, emotion is just a thing. It's what you do with it and what influence you allow it to have over you is the thing that we need to talk about, right? And so that's what Paul's saying. He's not saying like anger is evil. He's saying we need to be angry about the right things and understand that this emotion, anger, is not evil. It's how we use it because he's referencing this God who has been angry. You read the Bible and you read that there is a God who is incredibly angry sometimes when humanity takes his word for granted or humanity does some really bad decisions, right? And so basically Paul's saying, he's like be angry about the things that God is angry about, about injustice, About evil. So we as Jesus followers, we should be angry when we see injustice. We should be angry over the fact that there are kids sleeping on the floor in our town. We should be angry over the fact that people say that they're Jesus followers, but they're very abusive and corrupt. We should be angry when someone takes this word and uses it in a wrong way. But he stresses that this is not an emotion that we need to dwell upon too long. Because anger needs to be for a short season. If it is an ongoing emotion that we have, it makes us very vulnerable to some really bad mistakes and decisions. That's why he follows it up, right? With not only saying don't let the sun go down, and you can take that literally or metaphorically, but basically he's saying this should not be an ongoing way of your life because he stresses in verse 27 not to give or to give no opportunity to the devil. See, when we allow the emotion of anger to go on too long, we say and do things that are not helpful. And if you're honest, we've all done this. In fact, I know I have. I have said and done things in a place of anger that hurt others, even hurt the body of Christ, because my anger went unchecked, because it was not properly controlled. And I say that so you can be honest about yourself and admit, yeah, I've, I've said and done things in my anger that were immature, that were inappropriate, that hurt others, and it wasn't right. And Paul is saying, look, this is not the way we should be. In fact, what he's stressing is that Jesus' followers are expected to be angry over injustice but compassionate to the hurting, right? We need to be compassionate to those who are hurting, but we need to be angry with a passion to say, you know what What this injustice is over here? We need to put a stop to it, right? That's what Jesus' followers do. He goes on to give another expectation. He says this in verse 28. He says, let the thief no longer steal, right? Simple enough. No one likes to be around someone who you're constantly having to check your wallet around, right? You like to be around people that you can trust in this regard, right? And he follows it up by not only saying that, stressing that, man, basically we shouldn't be people who are taking advantage of each other, but he follows it up by in verse 28 saying, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands, so rather than people who maybe take advantage of one another or are lazy or anything like that, he's saying we should rather be hard workers because Jesus' followers are expected to be hardworking contributors to the community. And here's why. Verse 28 continues, and he says, So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, this is important, right? So important that you might want to lean forward. Let me have your attention because I'm going to say something that... If you think about it, it might very well change someone uh, for your life. We worship a God who was incredibly generous and good to us. And we did not deserve it. And there's nothing we could do to earn it. He has treated us this way because he wants to. Because he wants to give us something himself and jesus followers are expected to not only know that but to live from that that's why we say and that's why this text is supporting that jesus followers are expected to be irrationally generous toward others because we recognize that jesus was generous toward us we in turn look to be generous toward others and with what god has given us right for us as a church we're very big on this in fact this is why when you walk in the door through those doors whether you turn to the right or the left, you're going to see the exact same thing. You're going to see a green bucket with the sign. Now, some of you, you're fairly new. You have no idea what I'm talking about with those buckets. right? That's a campaign we do called Change for Change, which is... Every year, we pick one ministry, one nonprofit, one area of service that we're interested in. And all year long, we encourage people, hey, when you come in, take the coins from your car, you know, from when you went and got like a milkshake this week and you you got some change back and you just threw in the center console. Take those coins and drop them into the buckets because 100% of what goes into those buckets at the end of the year will go to whoever the recipient is. And this year, we've been raising up for Sloan Parker and his family as they're planning a church for those who are impoverished out in Neelyville. And that's something we're very big on. And I love the fact that some of you, you even use that to teach tithing to your kids. It's always awesome when you see little kids come in, they're like, hey, I got a dollar this week. Let me put a dime in those buckets, right? Because 100% of those buckets, and they're getting pretty heavy, this is awesome, at the end of the year, That family is going to get this. It's a wonderful blessing from us as a church. That's just one tiny way us as a bluff church try to practice this, that we want to be irrationally generous because we recognize how rich we've been blessed by the mercy of Jesus. We want to share that with others, right? And Paul says, as Jesus followers, it's expected that we would be generous people, right? He goes on and he says this now. Next expectation, verse 29. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Now, it's interesting. The word corrupting could also be translated as vomit or a gag reflex. Basically saying, you know, think about this. You would rather throw up than say anything heinous or cruel or mean to someone. Now, when you read a verse like that, some of you are thinking, okay, he's talking about cussing and some four-letter words, right? And if that's what you're thinking, you're either thinking one of two terms. Either, man, now I'm feeling a little guilty. Or you're doing a mental checklist and you're like, I've got this. I'm good. But let me lay the playing field, level it out for you. Because we all know this to be true. That some of the most corrupting and evil things we've ever heard someone say did not involve a single cuss word. Amen? Like some of the things that result in people having to go through therapy to overcome. Right? And this is something that's true for all of us. I mean, how many of you, when you were on the playground, heard that famous song, you know, Sticks and Stones May Break My Bones, But Words Will Never Hurt Me? Right? How many of you, feel free to raise your hand if you ever heard that song? Now, how many of you, of you, raise your hands, keep it up if you still believe that song is true? Okay, so maybe like one of two of you, right? We all learned that this is a fact, that words can really hurt Words can cause tremendous amount of damage. That words are powerful. And Paul is saying, look how embarrassing it is that for a Jesus follower, who God has spoken such love over, would turn around and say such mean and heinous things towards someone else. Sometimes even among the same body of Christ. It's embarrassing. It should not be that way. That's why Paul says this, that we should only speak such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. We need to see that the words that come out of our mouth are an opportunity to bless others, not to speak bad about them, not to say the things that we say behind closed doors, not to text things we text or post the things we post online. In fact, some of you might be surprised to hear this but let me go ahead and break the ice. Jesus can, in fact, see what you're posting online, <laughs> all right? He can see what you're texting, all right? What you're, you know, sharing on Twitter, things like that. I'm serious, he can. And some of you are probably thinking, man, I need to go and delete some social media accounts. And maybe you do, right? Because here's the honest truth. We are expected, as Jesus follows to speak in such a way to one another and about one another in a way that is full of love and grace and mercy. That's the way we speak to one another. That's how we be healthy to one another, right? Because we're expected to speak this way. That's why he stresses, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, right? As Jesus followers, we know that we have God's Spirit living in us He's made himself home in our lives, turned us into his temples after he has drawn near to us, and sealed us as his children. The presence of the Holy Spirit in the community and in the heart of the individual Christian declares that we belong to God and that we are destined for the day when God sets everything right. And that's just what we've seen so far in Ephesians. So therefore, how we speak to one another needs to come with this mindset, that we are therefore the temples of God and we're bringing Jesus into this space. Would you want to say the things you say and text the things you text and send the things you send? If Jesus was in the room with you right then, would he put up with that conversation? That's something we all need to get better at, right? And it's expected of us. We need to take this seriously. Paul goes on to lay out more expectations, and if you thought he was serious and rough before, just wait. Here he goes. Verse 31, he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. All right, there's, there's kind of a progression here, and he starts off with this bitterness. And basically, he's identifying the fact that what we feed grows, and it always starts with bitterness, bitterness that we have towards others, towards family members, towards friends. That when we allow bitterness in our hearts and we feed that, what results is some really unhealthy actions. And and you and I know this for true. In fact, for many of you, you might be holding a lot of bitterness in your heart towards someone. You might even be holding a lot of bitterness in your heart towards someone in this room right now. And it's not producing anything good. What we feed grows. And Paul's point is, look, we don't need to be living in this bitterness anymore. We need to starve this and feed this instead. Here's what he says, verse 32, that instead of this bitterness, we need to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. All right, now raise of hands. How many of you like to be around someone who's kind? Okay, awesome. All right, how many of you like to be around someone who's tenderhearted, who will listen to you with compassion? Oh, that's great. How many of you like to be around someone who will forgive you? All of us, right? Here's the encouragement. Be that kind of person. That's what Paul is saying is expected of us. That Jesus' followers are expected to be kind people. We're expected to be very compassionate people. People who are empathetic. People who are listening to one another. People who will forgive one another. Because Jesus forgave us. And because now we're followers of Jesus. Now we have a new identity. That's why Paul stresses in verse 1 now, turning of chapter 5. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, you know when you were a kid and you wanted to grow up to be like mom or dad or like someone you respected, right? He's saying, look, you are now part of the family of God because you have this faith in who Jesus is. You're now one of God's sons or daughters. So grow up to imitate what God has done to you. And you do this, he says, in verse 2, as we walk in love. Love is our greatest virtue. Jesus followers are expected to show love to one another. It is the epitome of what it means to be a Jesus follower. That we were loved by God and we in turn will love people as Jesus has loved us. Yes, we're imperfect. Yes, we're going to mess this up. But this is our desire, is that we are going to do the best we can to show love to one another. And the example of this love is Christ himself. That's why Paul says, continuing in verse 2, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Because the ultimate demonstration, my friends, of love is Jesus' act of laying down his own life for us so that you, who have faith in him, who trust in him, can be part of his family. And now, therefore, because you know this, because you know the truth, it's expected you're going to follow Jesus. You're going to seek to imitate him. You're going to seek to make him known, to make him famous, to show his love. Because that's what you've received. And here's the total example or the main point of today's entire text. If you look at all this in summary, right, uh, of where Paul is all leading us to, and for those of you who aren't following Jesus, you're probably like, man, Mason, what you're about to say is exactly why I'm not a Jesus follower, why I have problems with church and other Jesus people, right? And you who are a Jesus follower, you might need to be reminded of this, especially in this week, in this situation that we're going through as a community and as a history, as a culture, as a church, or as a country, is that we need to know this truth, that nothing is expected more of a Jesus follower than that we would treat others like Jesus did. Nothing is expected more of a Jesus follower, right? Than we would treat others the way that Jesus did. This is so crucial to so much of what we do. This is crucial to us right now in the state we're in as a world. For many of you, this is so crucial for the marriages you have, the work that you're going back to this week, the friendships you have. What is expected of you most of all is that you would treat others the way that Jesus has treated you. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, right, this is not expected of you. right? Everything we talked about, you don't have to live by this. But your life will be better. And I want you to know That as a pastor of this church, as one of the elders, including all the other elders, we would all agree with this, that this is our heart, that we would be this kind of community right now, at this moment in history, that we would be people who seek to take this responsibility that's expected of us, to treat others and look like Jesus, to treat others the way Jesus has treated us in turn. And when the church does this, this is how the church is irresistible. The church is irresistible when its people will seek to live according to the expectations that Jesus has laid out for us. It's not make sure you're in church every week. Well, that's good and wonderful. It's not make sure you tithe, though that's good and wonderful. It's making sure, man, where you are at, you see yourself in your new identity as a follower of Jesus, as someone who has a relationship with Jesus, who God has drawn near, has made you his temple, that therefore you were expected to be honest, to be reliable, to be caring, to be kind, to be hardworking, to be the kind of person that others are like, man, I want my son or daughter to marry a Jesus follower. Or man, I want to hire a Jesus follower. Man, if I'm in trouble, who am I going to look for? A Jesus follower. To be that kind of person. And when the church takes that responsibility seriously, that's when a church is healthy. Not when it's growing bigger in numbers, not when it has more activities, but when the people take seriously the expectation that's put upon them that where they're at is where God wants them to look like Him in that space. And that's something we all need to do better at because many of us are going to go to this week and because of the political climate, regardless of wherever you fall on the spectrum, and I don't care where you fall in, my care and concern is that you would look like Jesus. That when you talk to people who might disagree with you, you would use that opportunity to point to Jesus. When you run into people who just aggravate you this week, that you would look like Jesus. Because of all that Jesus has done for you, That you would look at these frustrating moments and think, man, God, how frustrating I must have been for you. And yet you showed me grace and mercy and love. Help me to do the same in this moment to this individual or in this circumstance to look like you. That's what's expected of us. That's what we're going to need to walk into this week and next week. And the week after, if we want to be the church that God has called us to be, this is what's needed. That's why this morning, as we're going to bring our service to a close here. And the man is going to come up here in a moment saying, we're just going to open up the floor if you need to pray. Because some of you, you recognize a situation that you're going to go into this week. And maybe you just need to fall on your knees and pray saying, God, I need you to be in that situation. And I need you to help me to be who I need to be in that situation. And maybe for some of you, it's different. Maybe for some of you, you just got a burden on your heart, and right now you just need to fall on your knees and pray about it. Maybe you're just scared and concerned about something in your life, and once again, you need to bring it to God. Look, there's tremendous power. When we come to a state of humility and we fall on our knees and say, God, I need you, and I need my story to change to be one that's all about but God, to be that kind of story. And so that's why this, this morning when the band comes up, they're saying, we're going to just open to the floor if you need to pray. There's no judgment in this. That's actually a, a wonderful thing because you're showing to people, saying, I believe that there's a God who answers prayers, and I believe there's a God who moves when we pray. And right now I'm believing, and I'm asking for that God to intervene into my situation. So there's no shame in coming forward. In fact, it's a celebration of your faith in Jesus. And so we're asking for the Holy Spirit to move in our midst right now. So Ben, would you please come up? For the rest of us, would you just join me in a moment of prayer? Father, you have laid out a lot in this scripture this morning. A lot of do this and don't do this and all of it comes from the same place of recognizing who we are now in Christ. And Father, I'll be the first to admit, sometimes I need that reminder. And sometimes I need a man, I need to do better. Because it's easy to follow you on a Sunday morning when we're just sitting here quietly. That's easy. It's difficult when we actually come into relationships with other people and we come into those conflict with our bosses and our coworkers and our our, our friends and family. Father, it's difficult. But you did something far more difficult. You took a cross for us. And what you ask of us in exchange is easy. You just ask us to love. And yes, we won't always get it right. Oh, Father, we get it wrong more often than we get it right. But would you just in this moment move with your Holy Spirit among us? Because there are people in this room who are carrying such bitterness in their hearts. May this be a moment where they just maybe lay it down. Maybe they need to come and lay down, uh, get down on their knees and pray. Or maybe they even need to do something braver. They need to actually go to the individual that they have bitterness with in this room and just express love and pray over them. Father, I, I know if you were to ask that of anyone, that's definitely something that your Holy Spirit is doing. Because that seems crazy. <laughs> Maybe for others in this room, man, Father, they are struggling with one of these other expectations. May this just be a time where they are encouraged to see what could possibly happen if we were to follow you and live according to to the way you want us to live, to be the people that you want us to be. So I thank you so much for the grace of Jesus. Father, we can't thank you enough because you've given us a new identity in this. So help us now to go out and live in this new idea. It's in your name I pray.